بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد رسول القدیم اما بات الحمد للہ جنائی از دا تھرڈ آف جنوری ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی تھری الحمد للہ گوئنگ دا تھرڈ ویک دا of the noble companion, Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu And I spent a few sessions in which we've been taking a glimpse into his education as given by our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa And the last thing I mentioned was his asking the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa that his du'as be answered. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa highlighted that he must be cautious with regards to the halal. So, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas, who I mentioned yesterday, also queried the Prophet, and the Prophet said the same to him, sallallahu alayhi wa He would say to those who would frequently ask him, Why is it that your du'as are responded to amongst all other companions? And Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas, he replied, radiyallahu For I do not raise to my mouth a single morsel, except I know where it came from and even where it emerged from. SubhanAllah. This is recorded by Hafiz ibn Rajib rahmatullahi in his Sharh al-Arba'in, page 275. So look how interesting. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas was asked, why do your du'as have a special response? And he, he could have said, because the Prophet made du'a for me. He goes, respond to my uncle's du'as. He didn't say that. Why? Because that doesn't benefit you. What he said was, I do not raise to my mouth a morsel. And he mentioned two things. I know where it came from. And I know where it emerged from. So that's the next level. He goes, two things. So note, Sa'ad radiyallahu obviously was a phenomenon. It would thus now not come as any surprise to learn that the du'as of Anas were truly blessed with the Allah. In Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabaqat, volume 7, page 21, Al-Isaab, volume 1, page 72, Ibn Abi Dunya in his work, Those Whose Supplications Were Answered, number 79, with the Sahih chain of transmission, Hafiz Laliqai in his Karamat Al-Awliya, page 35 of the English translation, Ma'rif Al-Ahadith, volume 4, page 576 of the New English translation, Ayat al-Sahaba, volume 4, page 64, and volume 5, page 560 to 4 of the New English Translation. For Mama ibn Abdullah, he relates, rahmatullahi, during the summer month, the caretaker of Anas's orchard came to him, complaining about drought. Anas, radiyallahu, thereupon sent for some water, made wudu, and started performing salah. Let's open the report. <coughs> so it's summer. So during the summer, obviously, you'll have crops, bumper crops. But there had been no rain. So the one who was looking after the particular orchard of Anas, he said to Anas, there's drought. So immediately, he gets some water, performs wudu, and offers salah. Upon completion, Anas then asked the man, see if you can see any clouds. When the man looked and returned, he said, I saw nothing. 
Anas radiyallahu again returned indoors and again performed salah. So what happened? He performed maybe a two rakat prayer of need. He asks his uh, employee, he goes, see what's happened. Because nothing's happened. He goes back, he offers salat again. It was after the third or fourth time of asking. The man then to look that he finally reported back saying he now sees a cloud the size of a bird's wing. So how many times has Anas offered radiyallahu the salah? Three or four times. Finally, a very small piece of cloud the man detects. Anas continued making salah and dua until the caretaker came to him and said, the sky has now become overcast and the rain is falling. Anas thereupon said to him, take the horse that Bishr ibn Jiraf al-Dabbi al-Basri had sent and see where the rain has reached. When the man did as instructed, he discovered that the rain had not fallen further than Musayyirin and Ghadban areas. I, a place just outside of Basra, it had fallen precisely on the land belonging to Ans. <laughs> so let's look at this. So this is a Sayyih report. In Ibn Sa'ad al-Isab ibn Abi Dunya Karamat al-Awliya Hayat al-Sahab. So now what can we take from this? Note that Anas had offered five optional prayers coupled with dua which was finally answered by the almighty and glorious a lesson for one and all in never giving up hope and being steadfast in these two most glorious deeds so what do people do this is what they do well, they should make offer a two rakat prayer and ask allah to fulfill your need and then grumblingly they do it you know you know it's dragging their feet and when they do it because well nothing happened and then you respond to them by saying, did the Prophet say it's going to get answered straight away? He told you to offer the prayer of need. But he didn't say how many. He'll still argue, yeah, but my iman's very weak, it won't work for me. Before he goes on that, you know, violin track, you respond saying, do you know who Anas is? If he doesn't know who Anas is, then you've got another problem. Then you say, well, he's a companion of the Prophet. That's all you need to know. Do you think that his du'as will get answered straight away? You think, well, if he's not going to get answered, he didn't. Two rakats, made a du'a, nothing happened. Absolute nothing. Did he give up? He went back in, two rakats, nothing happened. Third, fourth, small cloud emerges. Even then you could think, well, maybe that's just Mother Nature. The... He continued making salah and dua and then the rain came. But that wasn't amazing. The amazing part was when the man was told to look where the rain had fallen. It had only fallen on Anas' land. So think about it. Imagine you've got a plot of land and you're making dua, Yala, please, we need rain. Anas didn't make dua for the whole land. He was making it only for his own land. Allah Ta'ala answered it to that very letter. And what does that tell you about rain? This is just falling. People say, oh, just raindrops, you know, just fall, don't they? Do they? How did these raindrops have intelligence? The hadith mentions in Ibn Jadid in his tafsir, Hassan, Hassan al-Basri, rahmatullahi said that each raindrop, an angel is ordained to drop it where it is decreed. 
So how many angels did Allah Ta'ala send for that land of Anas? So now another lesson. Somebody greater than Anas. So the only one who's greater than the companions are prophets. You've got Adam. Alayhi the father of humanity. So the report summarized in Abdul Razak in his Al-Musannaf Ibn Abi Shayba Qanzul Umal Hayat al-Sahaba volume 4. Two of the companions, Abdullah ibn Amr and Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, they relate the incident, that Adam والسلام, he suddenly got a kind of a protrusion and I think it was on his neck or maybe on his blessed head, I can't remember. So it's important to point out it wasn't a boil because they don't get illnesses that blemish their beauty. So it was a protrusion, maybe a lump or something of that nature. So the report says Adam offers two rakats. After he finishes, it moves. It moves from the original location, it goes further south, maybe to the neck. He offers another two rakats. It moves. Goes further south. I don't know how many times he offers the salat, but eventually it goes down to his foot. And after he offers the prayer again, it disappears. So now the question. Why didn't Allah, the Almighty and Glorious, immediately cure Adam? Why? Because Allah Ta'ala loves Salat and He loves Dua. So Adam, our father, taught us this is an ancient Sunnah. He was teaching us. Imagine, somebody goes, what did Adam teach you? He's your father. What isn't your father? He's your father, baboon. Right? So what did he teach you? One of the things he taught us is, don't give up. Persist in Salat. Allah Ta'ala will help you. So Lord Anas, Exactly the same. So there's lessons to be learned. I never gave up with your salat and dua. In fact, one report mentions before moving on. In Kanzul Umal, Allah the Almighty and Glorious tells Jibreel alayhi salatu wasalam, don't answer his dua. I like to hear his dua. So one of the reasons Allah, Allah doesn't answer dua is he likes to make, hear you making dua. Now think about that. How interesting is that? Is it more important for your dua to get answered or to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? It's to please Allah, that's why he's not answering your dua. There's another way to look at it. He likes to hear your dua. He's making that same dua again. So leave it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So moving on to the next subsection. Our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's love for the august household of Sayyidina Anas radiallahu Naturally, our beloved Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam loved for the most august household of his dear cousin was immense. For instance, in Sayyid Bukhari, Sayyid Muslim, Tirmidhi, Ahmad in his Musnad 6-43, Bukhari's Allah double Muflad number 88, Anas he said, One day myself, my mother and my aunt Um Haram were sitting together. Suddenly Rasulullah arrived. He asked, Shall I not offer salat with you? Although no salat was due at the time. Thus he led us in salat. One of the men present asked Anas, Where were you placed during the salat? He answered by saying he was made to stand on the right hand side. I of Rasulullah with his mother and aunt standing behind so let's look at this. I mentioned it a few times this report. Recorded in Bukhari and Muslim. The first interesting thing to point out is Rasulullah has come to visit them. They haven't gone to visit the Prophet. Second very interesting thing. He's come to visit them and what does he ask? He doesn't say, I've come, I'm feeling a bit hungry. 
I'm a bit thirsty. What does he ask? Shall I not offer salat with you? <laughs> Imagine. Goes to their dwelling. Shall I not offer salat? Immediately goes, yes. And Anas goes, it wasn't farad. It was an optional prayer. So as soon as later goes, where were you standing? He goes, I was standing to the ne- the right hand side of the Prophet. And my mothers were behind. So now think about that. How many companions have the honor of standing to the side of the Prophet in salat? You can count them on your hands. <laughs> Abdullah ibn Abbas is one of them. Anas is one of them. So that isn't a coincidence. And don't forget, he went to the house of Anas, of, of Umm Sulaim, and they were all there playing behind the Prophet <laughs> Indeed, this would be a frequent occurrence. In Sayyid Bukhari, number 860, in the chapter on Adhan, Anas, he relates, my grandmother Mulaika, radiyallahu, once invited Rasulullah for a meal, وسلم, which he prepared for him. On arrival, he ate some of it and then said to us, Arise, I shall now lead you in salah. I thereupon brought out a mud that had become black owing to excessive use and I sprinkled water over it. Rasulullah thereupon stood on the mud and offered two rakats. The orphan was with me in the first row. And the old lady stood behind us. <laughs> I mentioned this report quite a few times, but it's relevant again. So, who's now invited the Prophet? Anas's grandmother, Malika. And he doesn't eat all of it. He just eats some of the food. And then he says, shall I lead you in Salat? Note again, they didn't ask the Prophet. So, you know, if they'd asked him, thinking, okay, the Prophet doesn't say no. He wants to bless the house. <laughs> And then he offers salat and look how beautiful Anas brings a musalla out. We call it musalla, prayer mat. And it's black. Why is it black? Because they're using it so much. If you look at the prayer mats that we've got, you could actually go into somebody's house and work out whether they're praying. Can I, get you? Can I pray? Brand spanking new prayer mat comes out. What does that tell you? This is just for like shusha. But if you get a prayer mat, you're thinking, half of it's disappeared. That means they're praying on it. So he offered, and look how beautiful, and a sprinkle water on it, meaning I don't want to hurt the Prophet. And then the two youngsters played behind the Prophet, and Mulaika was behind the youngsters. This proves, like I mentioned again and again, you can pray on a prayer mat. The Rawafid said, you pray hitting your head on the floor. And he once saw our beloved Messenger in a state of great hunger. Thus he rushed home and related it to his venerable stepfather. Mm. In Sayyid Muslim, number 5323, Riyadh Salihin, number 521, he goes, Oh my father, I have seen Rasulullah with a belt tied over his waist. I asked one of his companions the reason for this. He replied, it was a count of hunger. So stop in the report. So how has Anas detected the Prophet's hunger? Don't forget, we're very hungry. We, it's pure riyah. Everybody gets to know about it. Oh, I've not had nothing to eat. The Prophet never talks like that. So how did he know? He was hungry. So he goes back to Abu Talha and he called him father, which is fine. Even though he wasn't his father. Ya Abati. He goes, I have seen the Prophet and I've seen a belt tied over his waist. The scholars explain this. They goes, the rocks that the Prophet and the Sahab would put on their stomachs was cool. The rocks are very cool. Why? Because the heat, so it's actually soothing for the stomach. And also it helps stop the stomach from caving in. So 
when Anas goes, I ask one of the companions, he goes, he's hungry. That's why he's got a belt tied around his stomach. So Abu Talha, he was already aware of this. For in another touching report, he himself says, we once complained to Rasulullah about severe pangs of hunger and then showed him the rocks fastened to our stomachs. Indeed, a rock was fastened on the stomach of every one of us due to severe hunger. Rasulullah thereupon showed us two rocks that was fastened to his blessed stomach. This is in Tirmidhi, number 2371, Gharib, in Shama'il, number 355, Abu Ash-Sheikh in his Akhlaq, page 288, Mishkat, volume 1, number 26, in the chapter on the duty towards the poor and the distressed, Shaykh al-Bari, rahmatullahi initially said Da'if, in his Da'if Sunan al-Tirmidhi, number 2490, but later stated Hassan al-Ghayri in his checking of Shama'il. So what's interesting, this hadith was initially created weak, but... The scholars obviously are human beings and they learn. And then later the Shaykh mentioned it's authentic. So what happened? The Sahaba were struggling. Why were they struggling? Because they were digging a trench. They had one week to dig a trench before the 10,000 strong unbelievers are coming. So they had a week. Think about that. Can you dig a grave in a week? You know, we'll struggle with that. Never mind a trench. So they're starving. So they came. And look how touching the Prophet didn't want to tell them. But when they, he saw this, the rocks... He, the best thing to do was to show his blessed stomach and there was two rocks so Abu Talha he knew he was hungry subhanallah such was the great concern that he had for others he had gone to Sayyida Umm Sulaim's dwelling Anas's mother and said to her be patient do not worry about my circumstance I swear by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the family of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has had nothing to eat for seven days and no fire has been lit under their pots for three days. By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if I were to supplicate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to turn the mountains of Tihama into gold, he would certainly do it, O Umm Sulaim. This is in Tabarani, Qanzal Umar, volume 4, page 42, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 1, page 529 of the New English Translation. So look how interesting. Why did the Prophet go to Umm Sulaim's dwelling? He wanted to console her. So somebody goes, I don't understand. The Prophet is suffering. So why is he going to console Umm Sulaim? Because he knew how much they loved the Prophet, how much they would be troubled by his trouble. So he went to her dwelling. He goes, be patient. He goes, don't worry about me. Then he mentioned something. Now this shows the hardships. He goes, the family of Muhammad has had nothing to eat for seven days. And no fire has been lit under their pots for three days. What does that mean? That means for three days, they had ate nothing. Three days. But he ate within the seven something which wasn't cooked by fire. So maybe a date, some water. He goes, so basically three days, nothing to eat. And then he says, if I wanted... Allah Ta'ala would change the hammer of mountain Tahama into gold. Because I don't want this. Because don't, because don't worry about me. So now look at how beautiful. All three of the family members, who were they concerned about? Anas detected the Prophet's hunger, confirmed it. Abu Talha came to the Prophet Rasulullah goes to Umm Sulaim's house. So what do you notice about his interaction with this household? It was like his own family. 
Subhanallah, despite her own hardships, Sayyidah Umm Sulaim radiyallahu would put the welfare of Rasulullah above herself and her family, despite the exhortation from our beloved messenger. So think about it. The Prophet told her to be patient. She couldn't. So here's an example. In Ahmad in his Musnad, volume 3, page 108, Sahih to the criteria of the two sheikhs with a prestigious short chain. Imam Ahmad, Rahmatullah he relates from Ibn Abi Adi, Rahmatullah who relates from Humayd, Rahmatullah who relates from Anas. So between Anas and Imam Ahmad, there's two tabi'in. Is a weak report you work here, right? Anas radiyallahu said, my mother Umm Sulaim radiyallahu once sent me with a large basket of fresh dates as a gift to Rasulullah. But I did not find him in his dwelling as he had just gone out to a freed slave of his who had invited him and made some food for him. So stop in the report. So she's got some large dates in a basket. He was giving quickly to the Prophet When he goes, he's been invited by a freed slave. Look at the humility of the Prophet. You know, he's the leader of both worlds who's invited a freed slave. He went and he goes, he'd made food for him. Thus I went to him whilst he was eating. And upon seeing me, he signaled to me to eat with him. The freed slave had served him farid, I pieces of bread mixed in vegetable or meat broth with meat and pumpkin. So Anas goes, I came to give dates. And then the Prophet goes, come share the food. Because I started sharing and I noticed it was meat, bread and pumpkin. The Prophet ﷺ, he liked the pumpkin. Thus I started to gather the pieces of pumpkin and put them on his side of the dish. <laughs> After he had finished eating, he returned to his dwelling and I put the basket of dates before him. He started to eat from them and shared them with whoever was there until they had all finished. <laughs> so look how beautiful Anas is explaining what the Prophet liked to eat. So he noticed he liked pumpkin. So what did Anas was eating? But he, he was like, you know, when he like tried to secretly push the food to the the other person. And because I started pushing the pumpkin to the other side. Because <laughs> I knew the Prophet liked pumpkin. And then he goes, after he finished eating, look at the concern. He didn't think he's had enough. Then he goes, I gave him the basket of dates. And the Prophet started to eat, meaning he didn't want to offend them. And he goes, it was finished. And then Anas goes, I was happy. <laughs> So what do you learn? You learn that the Prophet told them that be patient, but they couldn't. <laughs> right? And notice everybody was trying to help the Prophet <laughs> Abu Talha, to finish, he could also not bear to see our beloved messenger suffer. <laughs> In Sahih Muslim, number 5322, Anas said, Abu Talha saw Rasulullah lying in the masjid turning from his back to his stomach due to hunger. So this is what he saw. He saw the Prophet lying on his back in the masjid and he was turning. So Abu Talha goes, I knew it was hunger. He immediately went to my mother Umm Sulaim and said, I have seen Rasulullah lying in the masjid, turning from his back to his stomach and I think he is severely hungry. So now Abu Talha has got involved with the Allah. So notice the Prophet is not telling anybody. You know, it's very important to highlight that. He's not indicating his humbly. And yet they're working it out. And then there's a long report, which I'll mention tomorrow. So all I mentioned today was basically 
concluding the subsection with regards to the education, a glimpse into the education of this noble youngster from our beloved Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and a beautiful narration about his dua and how he persisted in making dua to get the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I should have mentioned, if you look at the report, Anas said, take the horse that Bishr ibn Shighaf al-Dabbi al-Basri had sent. So who was that? That was his student. And he gave him a horse. And look how he used this. They, you know, he used his uh, student's horse as his own. And he goes, see where the rain has gone. And he knew that the rain had not gone any further than his land. And it happened. And notice Anas didn't make a big hoo-ha of it. <laughs> no, we'd go down the streets, you're not going to believe what happened to me. <laughs> Right? Why? Because they know that Allah is going to help, but you just have to be persistent. Make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another question should have said, those five, six duas he made before, were they wasted? No. Because no dua is wasted. Every dua Allah slots into whatever he sees fit. One report says in Imam Ahmad's Musnad that Allah does not answer your dua and he forgives your sins. That's one way that Allah why he doesn't answer your dua. Another, he takes away the calamity from you. So the du'a is not answered, the calamity is taken away. Another, because of, uh, and there's so many reasons Allah has given in the hadith. So don't think that those du'as weren't answered. But eventually what he wanted was given. And Allah knows best the affairs of his servants. Are there any questions you'd like to ask?